0: Welcome to Inside the Piranha Club, I'm Rebecca Clancy
1: and I'm Ben Hunt
0: and this is the second episode where we look back at the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. There are lots of talking points to get through. Ben, you were out in Jeddah, what was the mood like out there?
1: It was interesting, there was, um, I mean for for a race which was pretty much a you know, a bit of a procession. There were certainly lots of stories knocking around and I think that could be our saving grace this year. You know, if the on-track action isn't going to deliver, let's hope that there will be plenty of talk going on, you know, off track. Um, you know, there was loads to get stuck into, as, as you mentioned. Um, Shall we start
0: you, with our what I know is our big bugbear? Because yes,
1: go for it. Come on.
0: You and I have spent many, many an hour after a race waiting for classifications to come through. Yep. I seem to recall Austria... Uh, Italy, uh, Abu Dhabi, of course, mm-hmm. and then Saudi Arabia. And actually, I saw you tweeting saying because Twitter's algorithms, you've got no idea when tweets are coming through. Yeah, and it took quite a long time to work out who was actually on the podium. And it's not a good look for Formula One. As it was, it was Perez one, Verstappen second, Fernando Alonso crossed the line in third with George Russell in fourth. But yeah. things changed pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, it was it was a it was mess, wasn't it? Um, you know, I did have a chuckle when um, Alonso was third. You know, that was quite nice. And of course, on the podium, I don't know if people noticed this, but um, the guy who who presented the trophy, the dignitary, was the CEO of Aramco. Now, Aramco is a Saudi state-owned oil firm you know, not your average CEO um, handing out the trophy to Fernando Alonso who has Aramco obviously on his overalls, big sponsor of um, Aston Martin, but they're also big sponsor of F1. Um, and it was just embarrassing to th- think that all those photos would be be redundant. The whole, you know, ceremony was, you know, it it was just fake because in theory, George Russell was was third, you know, moments after that presentation took place. And then, then there was the reversal, and the way that it all played out was pretty embarrassing. You know, the emails that come through, I can't remember the time now, but it was around about 2 o'clock local time when we were finally presented with clarification that uh, Alonso was, was third. Um, it's a total mess. Um, you know, we, we do get information from the FIA, and they turn around and said, don't worry, all we'll be sorted. There's a meeting on Thursday. We'll be making another amendment to the rule book. I mean, it's just not good enough. You know, they had this big fallout after Abu Dhabi 2021. They promised us this VAR room and it just still keeps on delivering mess after mess after mess. Okay, the first thing, first penalty, a driver being out of position on the grid. We saw that in the previous race. If that is now going to become a problem, then we need to find out why it is a problem, not normally a problem. It is now. But surely
0: that this is the sort of thing they're talking about in the driver meetings that they have every single Friday of every race weekend.
1: Well, well, well this is it. This is it. Why is that not being sorted? Um, you know, it, it's just a mess, as I mentioned. It's just it beggars belief that we're in this situation still after all these years, after all these videos, after all these strange results, that we're, we're in a, a world of... Um, A situation where a team complains on the final lap of a race and a decision is made to sort of reverse things you know the report was clear it said that they were alerted to a, a report that suggested that the penalty wasn't served correctly well the FA never told us who this was. We can we can guess that it's probably Mercedes because obviously they had most to gain um, with George getting a, a, you know a podium. Um, but we should we should know this. We should find out if this is the case. Was it Mercedes who said you know that, that the penalty wasn't served correctly? And if so, why did they wait until the last race? Was it because they knew that cynically Fernando wouldn't have you know built such a bigger gap? Um, you know, it, it, it's just strange that there's still no clarity. The thing that this president promised was clarity and, and speed of decision-making. Well, we still haven't got either of that. And it's just disappointing. It's embarrassing because you find yourself defending the sport for something that is, you know, ordinarily in every other sport, something which is very cut and dried, you know, football. We do moan about VAR in football, but it doesn't take four hours to come to a decision about whether a goal was, you know, valid or not. It, it You know, this now, can't go
0: on. Is there any other sport where... The clock finishes, and there's, we still don't know the results. I mean, it seems extraordinary that we're having these conversations.
1: I mean, the only the only. Thing I know is it's complicated.
0: You know, I know it's super complicated. It is.
1: it is. But but I mean, you could say the hundred meters, you know, and the drugs test, etc. But I oh, mean, true. you know, I'm clutching at straws. But the the reality is that you know, there's a couple of ways to solve this. The first thing is that we need to rip up that rule book and redraw it. I've said this for a long time. There's so much red pen on this rule book; no one knows what it means anymore, and all the crossing out, and it's just a mess. We need to do that.
0: It's embarrassing. They don't know. Their own regulations.
1: Well, this is true. I mean, this is what we saw with you know Abu Dhabi twenty twenty one. You know, didn't know the rules. Well, let's just make it
0: clearer. When you've got sporting directors who know the rules better than yes. the FIA know their yes. own rules, that's that's not a good place for the sport to be in. That means the teams are suddenly leading the charge, aren't they? And they, I personally think they already have too much power.
1: Well, the other the other thing we need is a professional body of uh, driver stewards you know, the yeah. same four going to every race. That way we will get some sort of consistency um, and the penalties will be, you know, fair, we hope. Um, and- but this is another
0: subject we've been talking about for years. Why is yeah. it not happening? Why is it they they come back with the same argument every time that it's too many races, it's 23 races, but teams manage to send people out to every single race. We're expected to go to every single race. Mm-hmm. Why can't these driver stewards do it?
1: Well, this is it. This is it. And I think that's obviously what I'm saying needs to change and I also think that they need to be answerable and I know referees aren't answerable in football but Michael Massey, to his credit, used to do press conferences after the race to explain his decisions and, you know, that wasn't necessarily mainly for me because it was a bit nerdy but generally speaking, if there was a controversial issue, he would explain the reasoning behind it and we're not getting that now. We're not understanding the decision process and the longer that goes on, the more tr- distrust there is that there's going to be a correct decision made. So I think accountability, professional stewards, um, you know, that all needs to happen and sharpish because F1 are getting very fed up.
0: Yeah. Well, the only time Massey didn't do that press conference was after Abby Dhabi, it should be noted, yes. but there we go. Um, let's move on to Red Bull, who again, won two, second race, won two, but flipped the positions this time around. It was Perez. Now, Good. We've ended the conversation about Verstappen winning every single race this year. Red Bull winning every race is still on the cards. But more interestingly for me is this dynamic, which was coming unstuck at the end of last year between Perez and Verstappen. Yep. It's clearly heading in the wrong direction. We saw it in the cool down room. Perez wanted to push for the fastest lap and was mm-hmm. effectively told not. And then Verstappen ended up getting the extra point for fastest lap. And Perez only found out in the cool-down room. And, well, it made for great viewing, let's put it like that. There's some serious tension going on between these two. And actually, I thought really tellingly was that photo doing the rounds. If you Mm -hmm. haven't seen it yet, it doesn't take long to to find it. Josh Verstappen's face at the end when his son did not win that race tells you everything you need to know about relationships with him for Red Bull at the moment.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I I agree. Um, it, it's one which is gonna, it's bubbling at the moment, but it is gonna boil over. Um, Sergio's words were that we, you know, we need to have a meeting about it because he's clearly not happy with the fact that Max pipped him to fastest lap, which obviously means that he's now top of the championship. So um, it wasn't great to watch, was it? In in, in that sense, um, you know, I, I think that. Christian Horner's obviously been in this situation before managing these two two drivers, and they keep saying, "Oh no, the, you know the relationship's fine." But as we know, after what happened, which we believe in Monaco, we still don't necessarily know for a fact, no. do we? Um, we believe it is Monaco last year where Perez spun um, after qualifying on pole,
0: apparently deliberately.
1: Deliberately? <laughs> well, let's apparently, see. Apparently, apparently. <laughs>
0: but Christian Horn has never been in this position before because he has two drivers in his stable who, whether it's price or not, truly believe they can win the world championship. Perez is not being managed as the second driver. For some reason, he, he thinks he's allowed to take the championship to Verstappen. Now, for those of us watching from the outside, we know that this is never going to be allowed. And we also, you know, Perez is... He's a fine driver, but he's not in the same league as Verstappen, with, who is one of the most talented, if not the most talented driver of his generation. So why are Red Bull allowing Perez to, okay, I'll say it, get above his station on this one. Why are they allowing him to think that he's even in the championship fight? Yeah, of course they want the one-two in the constructors, but don't they need to be doing a bit more management on this? And you know, Christians, as we said, has, has never found himself in this position before.
1: I quite like the fact that Perez is in the mix. I think that that is my another straw that I'm clutching at in the hope that this championship may become a little bit more exciting. You know, this <laughs> dynamic between them um, could become a different prospect if he wins, say, wins in Australia. You know, that, that would that would be interesting, wouldn't it? So I don't know. Yes, I, I take your point. Um, at this early stage, they're they're allowing both of them to go for it. I think that things will obviously turn around once you know, it becomes clear that one driver's ahead of the other, probably Max, and I think that'll be it. Um, but yeah, Perez is fancying his chances at the moment, so I quite, I quite like that. I quite like watching that.
0: Do you not think it's written into Verstappen's contract that he's the number one driver? Wasn't, there was a big, big thing about this. I remember at the time when he signed the biggest ever F1 contract in history. I and there was a.
1: I, I think, I think the way you see that, you know, the way they team are oh, with with Max, I think that's very clear that uh, he is the number one, isn't he? Um, yeah,
0: Yosha Stefan's face. Take a look at that. And that was I know really it was brilliant, wasn't it? Absolutely Amazing. brilliant. Um, let's move on to Mercedes because mm. for all of their flaws, they finished fourth and fifth, and we'll come on to Ferrari because they beat Ferrari. Um, so it was Russell fourth, Hamilton fifth, Sainz sixth, Leclerc like seventh. Not a terrible weekend for Mercedes. It's a super fast track in Saudi. It's the fastest street circuit on the calendar. So not not terrible. Obviously, they're miles off.
1: No, but you're, you're missing the story here. What, what about what about Angela?
0: Well, I blimey Island. where did that come from?
1: Well, this is it. Uh, very interesting. Did some digging as you'd expect. Well, let's just
0: explain very quickly to our listeners just in case. Angela Cullen was Lewis Hamilton's right-hand woman and... It would be an understatement to just call her the physio. She was his everything, his confidant. She was at every race. She was training with him between all the races. They were pretty much best friends. She was the ever present in his life. And between the first race in Bahrain and the second race in Saudi Arabia, she's gone. Mm.
1: Yeah. What happened? Yeah. Uh, depends on who you talk to. One person suggested oh, okay. that he's got a change in management, and that they advised um Angela to um, move, you know, or, or Lewis to to move away from Angela, which was one interesting school of thought. Don't necessarily believe that one because I don't think he has got a new management team. Uh, another was uh, another example of what happened was they had a, a row in Bahrain, which. Is plausible. Um I, I didn't see it myself, but uh that's one suggestion. Another one is that they, someone felt that um Angela was becoming too much of a profile for for Lewis in the sense that she was, as you mentioned, ever present and you know, kind of using her status as a platform. Um, you know, she's she's gone what, half a million Instagram followers now, something like that, becoming a little bit of a celebrity in her own right. And there was some school of thought that uh, she was getting a little bit too too big. Um, the honest answer is, I do not know what's happened. But to suggest that it was amicable is strange because she wouldn't have turned up to the first race, would she?
0: I don't believe that she got too big for her boots. But no. Toto, Wolf, the mercedes team principal, his comments on this were really interesting because he basically said, Lewis told us she was going and mm. we just support what he decides.
1: Yeah, I mean, the actual... The, the, the weirdest thing was that I asked that question to Toto in the press conference, and he he stopped and he looked to Bradley Lord, who is head of communications in the corner, and he was looking as if to say, "How do they know? How do they know that this has happened?" And um, it was really strange. And, and Bradley was like, "No, no, it's out there. It's out there." So. I believe that the team knew it was coming, but I don't know how much notice they had um, because it gave me the impression that he wasn't expecting that question. So um, it did play out on social media. Lewis later said that they were cool um, and that they had spoken and that they had uh, spoken on text. Angela as well, I think she put on her Instagram that she was cheering cheering Lewis on. But it's a very strange scenario to have. Uh, I mean normally these drivers stick with physios for a very long time, as Lewis has done, you know, seven years with Angela. And it just seems strange to leave after the first race. Um, you know, maybe he felt that, you know, he said to her, look, we want to do eight world championships. I want you by my side. I want you to be there for eight. And he's driven that car and just turned around and said, oh, it's not going to be this year. I'll go and do something else if I were you.
0: oh, well, She's got two young kids, it should be noted. Yeah. So yeah. maybe she just wanted to go and hang out. But I was just going to say on... Um, with Angela's departure Hamilton's inner circle within F1 is getting very small because a couple of years ago he lost his other best friend Mark Hines who was his business manager and oh you knew Mark Hines
1: Ben yeah well Mark's 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 in the paddock that was a
0: falling out well Mark's obviously back in the paddock now as well with uh, my Yu Joe and that at the time wasn't really even hiding the fact that they'd had a falling out Mm. um And you just feel Lewis is in a circle getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And actually, over the weekend, the only person he was pictured with was Lloyd, his security guard. Lloyd, who's a very nice man, has his own kids, um, although they're grown up now. Um, But it just seems to be the two of them.
1: I I think it's sad. Like, you know, he's been in Formula One, what second longest after Fernando, Um, and like he's just lonely, isn't he? Yeah, that's really sad. He's got no. Mates with, I mean, you know, he's got friends within the team, but they're not like friends' friends in the sense that all the other drivers have very close friends come to watch. You know, some of them come to every single race, but you know, team Team LH as it is is very small. It's just him at the moment. Um, he's got obviously people behind the scenes. You know, he's got his PA and his secretary, and his he's legal um, experts uh, plus a whole you know other team looking after the PR. But um, his race team is is obviously very small. they hired or hired not hired they 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 enlisted the help of this guy who 's called stevo who's been been in f one for donkeys years. He was at mclaren he's now at Mercedes and he was charged with carrying loose his helmet and helping mount the car and obviously providing with the scooter, which he used to um Go down the you know the pit lane just before the race. So, yeah, uh, you know, this guy I don't know how long he's going to be doing it for, but uh, <laughs> he seemed a bit reluctant, shall we say, to do so.
0: It's not a small job, is it? Uh, it's you're going to struggle to find people to do it. Although, I imagine some of our listeners would quite enjoy it. But trust me, you wouldn't. He didn't,
1: he didn't hold Lewis's hair back when um, when he put the put the helmet on. <laughs> so he's not doing the full duty.
0: Angela's a big loss. I would say quickly mm. on um, Toto, you was mentioning that you were talking to him over the weekend. Yeah. Is he all right? He he doesn't look particularly well. I mean, I know I don't sound well, so excuse me for that. But he he didn't look very well.
1: He's fine. I think he's under quite a bit of pressure there to to sort it out, isn't he? Um, you know, it's it's funny, you know, when when Mercedes were winning and, and it was all very easy and great, um, you know, he was he was great value and, you know, relaxed and had obviously rightly so, but now I think the pressure really is on to to turn this around and, um, you know, I I, I can imagine that he's, Taking it to heart the fact that the car's not quick enough, he wants Lewis to sign. You know they keep telling me that, oh, he's going to do it. We're just changing the numbers. Well, if it's that if it's that easy, just just do the contract. Um, you know, let's get this done and dusted, and we can all move on.
0: Have there been any rumblings about Mike Elliott's position? Because obviously is the chief designer at Mercedes. Josef yeah. Wolf was saying that in five to six races, you're going to see a totally different car to what we have now. Although he did then say, you know, it's was quite. Um, not quite as he, try, he tried to read back on those comments, basically. But but surely Mike Elliott is coming under a bit of pressure at well, the moment, isn't you he? You
1: remember last time we did this podcast, I mentioned yeah. Jane Paul, who left Red Bull and has gone yeah. to to Mercedes. Well, I understand she's looking into you know the team and how it operates. So I can only imagine that that fresh level of eyes is adding scrutiny onto the team. Um, she will be looking at everything, and. That is probably not a good thing for those guys that have you know designed this car, So you know, I believe that they're all under pressure. They all keep saying they want to turn it around, but the fact is, they persisted with this design, and it's not good enough, and the reality is, I know that they come home what well, you know, as you mentioned on paper, probably what third quickest car. I still think they're behind Ferrari in terms of pace, so they've definitely got a lot of work to do, and until it's sorted out, they're all under pressure.
0: Oh, lovely little segue there, Ben, into Ferrari. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Not a good weekend for them, I would no. argue. Um, as I've already mentioned, color size was six, Charlotte Leclerc seventh. Uh, Charles Leclerc taking a 10-place grid penalty for yep. a new electronics unit. And he had a new, uh, both cars had new power units, but within the, um, what's allowed within the regulations. So no penalties on that front. Had they turned the engines down? Is there some concern about these engines? What was going on?
1: Yeah, possibly. I think I think the the biggest concern is the fact that they've got reliability re- reliability issues, um, if I can say it. And obviously, operationally, again, you know, strategic wise, you know, big mistakes. I think that Fred Rousseau came in and we thought, oh, that'll be all right. He'll sort those two fallible, you know, parts of the team out. But he hasn't. I mean, he hasn't been there very long. But it's quite evident that that's where the problem is. So I think that Ferrari needs to get on top of this quickly. And uh, th- that's obviously been their big problem over the last couple of years, not reacting quick enough. He needs to really sort that out because before you know it, Red Bull will be pulling clear. And obviously we need Ferrari in that mix to keep things interesting for all of us.
0: Well, Carlos, I said mentioned this in the first podcast, that a big job for Fred Fissera for isn't just going to be sorting out the technical and reliability. It's keeping the drivers motivated. And Carlos signs on Sunday night it sounded pretty despondent mm-hmm. about the whole thing, saying it's difficult to take any positives from their weekend. Yeah. He looks like his head has dropped. He's not a happy bunny. It, I mean, it's not great, is it?
1: No, no, no. Morale's a big thing at the moment. And um, I know we'll come on to McLaren in a bit, but, um, you know, you've got to keep that morale up. And if they're not believing in that car um, or the fact that the team can sort out the problems, then it does become a real issue. But I do think that the reason why they are so fed up is because they're... They're watching Max absolutely, Max and Checo just absolutely crush it. And I think that must be so demoralising to see week after week um, at the moment. And I think that that's the problem that everyone's facing.
0: Yeah, well, to put it into context, Ferrari are currently fourth in the Constructors' Championship, nine points behind Aston Martin, who don't look like a one, one-trick pony, one pony, one-raised pony, I should say, with um, two podiums now, as mm. we discussed earlier. So they're doing pretty well. But you've mentioned the McLaren at the other end of yeah. the grid. Um, Now, as uh, Fleet Street, British Fleet Street, uh, in case you're um, uh, listening from outside the UK, so the UK newspapers, we have a sit down with Lando Norris every Thursday of every race. Uh, We've had it for a very long time. We've known him since before his F1 career. Um, Sometimes there's not much to talk about. We talk about uh, his golf, which he is obsessed with. Um, And sometimes we uh, talk racing. Now, there's a lot to talk about racing with him at the moment. So, mm. Ben, what was he like on Thursday? Well, I, might, I might need yeah. to
1: update the book, might I? I? Well, yeah.
0: Oh, and here you, you plug in, go on.
1: Yeah, because I've, I've done a book uh, on Lando, which is out in uh, August and it's available to pre-order on Amazon. Um, so, yeah, that was pretty good fun. But... Uh, the way I finished the book, obviously it's all, all written, is the way that he's going in pursuit of this um, this first win, and it looks miles off at the moment, doesn't it? And yes, we do have the chats with with Lando, and every single time we're talking to him, it is, how long can you put up with this nonsense? Because it's becoming week after week where you know, they're not delivering. Um, You know, I think that... okay. let's just do two things. First thing is, let's say that uh, we haven't really seen the true pace of McLaren because there was obviously the contact on the first lap. So we don't really know how quick it is because in the first race, there was the mechanical problem with his car. But generally speaking, they are very slow. Um, I think that could be a big issue for for Zach Brown because, you know, he's invested all this. You know, there's been a lot of investment in the team and they're going backwards. You know, I like Zach. I think he's a very nice guy and he's great at facing the music. Uh, But I do think that this is a tricky time for him, probably the trickiest time that he has been at McLaren. Um, It was great watching him turn it around and Andreas Seidel and everything moving in the right direction. But, you know, last year and this year, they seem to be going backwards, which is a big concern. They've put a lot of faith in Oscar Piastri. And we still don't know how quick he is. We, We, You know, we believe he's good, but we just haven't seen it yet. You know, as as I mentioned, so um, you know, I, I hope that it works out for them. But um, at the moment, it's looking pretty bleak, and I can only yeah. imagine that that has a, a knock on effect in terms of in confidence. I just don't think that there's anyone in that team at the moment that has the drive or the passion to to lead it forward. You know, I think that that's what's missing in that team.
0: Well, to put it into context, Oscar Piastri finished fifteenth, and Lando Norris was seventeenth. Not something. Not positions either of them want to be in. It's interesting about Zach Brown because I've been thinking about this because is he taking enough flack for the position that McLaren are in? He's an incredibly good marks here. We know this yeah. from um, his previous careers uh, in most racing, but pre F um, one. But did Andreas Seidel get out at the right time? Should he? <laughs> you know, if he'd stuck around, would he be taking um, more more stick for the position that McLaren now find themselves in? Has what has Zach Brown got so wrong on this front? Is there a case of too many cooks and so no one was really accountable to anyone or you know, there just seems to be a bit of confusion in that team.
1: Yeah, there does. And I think that there's a weakness as well in the, in the design. Um, You know, James Key went there and was, was responsible for designing the last couple of cars. And I just don't think that he's got it right. I think, um, you know, we were talking the other day about the first people to be sacked from um, their respective roles and Mike Elliott's name came up. But I think the favourite was um, James Key, which is a bit harsh on the bloke, but um You know, we just think that he's probably not delivering, Um, you know, he's not designing a car which is obviously capable of fighting for for decent points. And ultimately, um, you know, that's where McLaren are. They need to sort that out. Um, everything else looks good, you know. Driver program, um, you know, there's plenty of money coming in in the form of sponsors. You know, the MTC is you know, there's done a renegotiation deal on that, so that all is all in a healthy position. It's just the car itself is just not capable to fight for, for solid points, which is a shame.
0: I would argue that McLaren have had a aero problem for a while because remember Honda and mm. they spent a couple of years blaming the Honda engine for all their problems, and then they changed over to Renault and. Kelspries, they were still rubbish and then actually they realized that their error was worse than they had expected it should be said that mclaren have a new f1 wind tunnel come in the pipeline so that should help mm. them slightly but it's a very very concerning the position that they're in at the moment
1: yeah i think that they're putting a lot of emphasis on this wind tunnel and pushing the can down or kicking the can down the line and saying oh it's all about 2024 well that's all very well, and you know, but we've got to if we get to twenty twenty four and they're not capable of you know turning it on, then it does become a very real issue, and I think that that's why it needs to be addressed at the moment, and they need to start delivering results because otherwise that pressure when it comes to twenty twenty four is going to be huge on both of those drivers.
0: Just wanted to ask quickly about the regulations because we are now in a period of red Bull dominance, that seems mm-hmm. pretty obvious. There are new regulations coming in in 2026, new engines, new arrows, But these current regulations, which were designed to level the playing field, appear to have made things worse. And we know well, how the FAA love a tweak.
1: So, you know what? Do you know what? I'm going to stop you and say that I, I don't agree on. with you on that. Because I think that if you look down the field, it's quite competitive. And I think if you just take away... The, if you take away the the two Red Bulls from the opening two results, and actually it looks quite good, doesn't it? It looks quite competitive. and I think Yeah, but you can't
0: take Red Bull away.
1: I know we can't. I but does anyone can't.
0: care about who's fighting for ninth and 10th?
1: No, they don't. No, they don't. But what it shows you is the regulations do work. It's just that the only way that you can make F1 exciting next year is by banning Adrian Urie. That's the only way that they can do it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, sport was quite a good. Well, Red Bull weren't as good when he went off to do the <laughs> America's Cup and This is true. All of that and all of the air. um Yeah, so maybe we'll just get rid of Adrian you, and I'm sure Christian I would have something to say about that. <laughs> uh any other business? How was Jeddah?
1: uh was fine no Um, missiles no missiles this this time around they were very Um, hot on
0: updating on security beforehand we have a whatsapp group with f1 and the fia yep who were uh, keeping us up to date with what was in place
1: yeah i mean not really loads of security um lots of bodies yeah lots of bodies but not not necessarily security but um it felt very safe there was very organized um 1600 drones um with a display team that was great there was a laser which was world's most powerful laser is what i was told and you could see it from egypt it was all very um you know they did throw the kitchen sink at it um but yeah no it was good it was it was good you know good um event shall we say lots of celebs did you go into the good. grid i did go into the grid i saw will smith um i didn't see who else was there fabio capello um, I mean, we're a bit thin on the ground for, for no celebs. Cristiano Ronaldo, no Ronaldo. No, he didn't turn up. Um, oh, I, I've told you in the last podcast, I had uh, breakfast with Fred Resser. I didn't have breakfast with Fred Vasseur. I had breakfast with James Vowles. That was very interesting. Quite, quite interesting talking to him about Lewis. Um, explains how he lives on his own, and you know, just feeding into that narrative that we were talking about earlier on about you know being quite, you know, isolated. Um, fairly strange you know you know existence for someone with such high profile um and has been in support for such a long period of time but he's doing a fairly good job at Williams I think um you know I think he's he's had his a bit of a rude awakening uh a bit of surprise to realize that he hadn't spoken to Claire Williams um since taking the role said that he was due to um meet or speak but wasn't able to do so so I think that um he should probably do that just to you know just to be nice
0: um has he spoken to Toto? Any advice? What did he, you say he's, about he speaks days? to
1: Toto all the time, doesn't he? Oh, that's good. I think that those, those two are super, super close. Um, you know, I think he's doing a good job there. I think uh, you know. I'm, I'm I'm pleased to see him and it working out. Uh, what else can I tell you? I can tell you that uh, Will I Am recorded a music video uh, on the track uh, on Thursday night, so no one could run the track. I did it the following day, and it was horrible. But yes, he's producing something for F1. Um, I popped it in my column in the sun. Um, yeah, I, I believe it's for sort of not not to replace podium music, but it's to produce um, a music ditty type thing or a catalogue of songs, which they can play maybe on driver's parade, maybe on the, you know, just after the podium, just to fill in because at the moment you've got, you know, some, some races have DJs and when the DJs pump out all that music, um, is, there's some issue about rights and and who owns the rights. And of course they want to avoid any problems like that. So they'll have some sort of, Will I am specials to, to trot out. So, uh, Keep your ears open for that coming Oh, good. Uh, I'll to that
0: because the DJs, they always put next to our media centre and you always end up <laughs> leaving with a ringing in your ears. Yes. Yeah. It's not ideal. Right. I think we've covered everything then, have we?
1: I think so. Um, <laughs> nothing else to report.
0: Off to Australia next. An all-time favourite of pretty much everybody, Melbourne, an incredible city. Um, if you can get yourself over there, I would highly recommend it. The track in good. Albert Park, absolutely beautiful, Decent and some coffee. changes this year. Yeah, very good coffee, very good brunch in general. Actually, very good brunch culture. Um, brunch is my thing, so I'm all down for that. Although then you have brunch and then you have to lug it to the track, so it's white. You don't really get to enjoy it, but it's fine. Are you staying down by the beach?
1: No, I'm not. I'm not. No, no, no. I'm mm. not in Oz actually this year. So. Oh. Um, Yes, it's a shame, but uh, it should be a decent race. I'm, I'm hoping um, for some upset there.
0: Yeah, it, it, well, they've made a few changes to the track, haven't they? So hopefully the racing will be improved. It's stunning, stunning city, but it's not exactly the most amazing for on-track action. Um, But we will catch you next time. In the meantime, you can catch us on all the usual social media channels. And if you have liked this podcast, please rate and review it, only if you like it, of course. Um, And send us in all your questions, if there's anything you'd like to ask or if there's anything you'd like us to ask the drivers, uh, then get in touch in all the usual ways, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram. um, And we will catch you next time. Thank you very much for listening.
1: Thank you.